<laughs> Yo, what is going on, everybody? Wow, 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 wow. Does it feel so good and so amazing to be back? It's been quite a while, huh? Um, this isn't super by choice that I've been away for so long, you know, with school and work and, you know, just life, things come up. Uh, the podcast did have to get put on the back burner for a little bit, but the return is now. The king is home. You know, I'm back. I'm ready to hit the ground running with this. So where are my manners? How are you guys doing today? I hope you are all having a fantastic day. And if not, I hope this little time I have your attention can make it a little bit better. So I'm very excited about today's episode because we'll be going, you know, talking about the team a little bit to end the season. I'm not going to go into it too much because I had this script made for quite a while and I want to go into some other points, but we will do a season recap coming up here shortly. I want to talk about our bright young budding rookie who can maybe turn into a star, who knows, over the elongated stretch of the post-All-Star break. Then my kind of base analysis of Zion Williamson and just what I kind of think. And then finally, there's a Q&A, Q&A segment to end the episode. I ask my lovely followers on Twitter for questions so I can give my incredible insight and always correct answers, of course. But before we dive into everything, the Everything Cavaliers podcast is a proud member of the Rise Up podcast community. We are a quickly growing community that is comprised of a collection of amazing podcasts that cover a wide range of topics and also help one another grow and increase exposure. No contracts, no commitments, no anything like that, just growth and great people, honestly. They're some of the people I talk to the most nowadays because we all have a common goal and just want to see each other succeed. If you have any further questions, you can contact me directly or message the podcast community page on Twitter at Community for any further information. If you guys are looking to start your own podcast or anything like that, um, feel free to message just really anyone within the community and we'll get you uh, we'll get you straight away. So the Cavs post All-Star break, they were 7-17, seven losing their last 10 games to end the season. Not... Not super pretty, but, you know, in terms of draft picks and whatnot, it's it's what you want. Um, but they did definitely perform better post-All-Star break, in my humble opinion. Uh, once Kevin Love came back, I think we all – it was pretty evident that he was just the heart and soul of the team, and he just added so much more. Um, and when he went down at the beginning of the season and the Cavs were like, you know, 4-12 and 12 or so, I predicted 18 wins, so, you know – the Cavs only won 19, so I'm actually pretty impressed that, that I was so uh, so darn close there. Um, but yeah, I really wanted to dive into the Cavs' biggest bright spot in this pretty rocky season. Uh, Mr. Colin Sexton, he balled out post-All-Star break. Um, yeah, if you guys don't really know how well he's he performed post-All-Star break, you're in luck because that's what we're about to dive into now. So of the last... 13 games of the season, he he really shined. He scored 20-plus points in 11 of those 13 games, and he averaged, I think it's like 23-ish points a game per game. And for a rookie over a pretty elongated stretch, that's pretty impressive in my books. He, he shot a lights-out 40 47% from three over the last 13 games, and he, you know, for the season, shot over 40%, which is insane. I don't think anybody 
expected that at all. I expected like 32% maybe to if we were lucky. So I really have to give him credit there for putting in that work and really making a weakness a strength for him. And he shot 52% from the field and 90% from the free throw line over that stretch as well. I know it wasn't a huge sample size. It's not like it was half season or even a whole season, but it was an elongated stretch. Um, so, you know, it has it's definitely a bright spot that we can be excited for. And if you told me that this would have happened in the beginning of the season or even in like January, I probably would have laughed in your face because he was playing quite horribly around that time. And ever since he didn't get picked to be in the Rising Stars game, I think he just showed like he deserves to be there over Kevin Knox, who had a much worse season than Colin Sexton did. Um, he's now second all time in consecutive 23 plus point games by a rookie only behind the great Allen Iverson. Sexton had nine and Iverson had, or no, excuse me. Sexton had seven and Iverson had nine. Um, so that's incredibly impressive. I don't, I couldn't have expected that to begin the season. Um, you know, he's seeing Sexton's development game by game is really it's really intriguing to, to see because you do see the development there. And a lot of times you don't see that in season for, from young players. He averaged 2.83 assists per game. Uh, that's not good by any measures. Um, he was finding, he was making passes later in the year and post all-star break. He wasn't making in the beginning of the year, um, which is good to see, even though those don't really show up on uh, in the box score uh, at the end of the, uh, uh, I can't speak today at the end of games. Um, you know, and he got really unlucky with missed shots. He could have, he could have averaged easily five to maybe six. Okay. Maybe I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but anywhere from like four to five assists per game. And that's the, you know, averaging 2.8 assists per game and averaging, you know, 4.7 or 4.8 is a difference between a bad playmaker and a bright young floor general. Like, Shea Gilgis-Alexander of the Clippers gets thought of as this great floor general of the future, and he only averaged like 3.1 assists per game. I get the minutes weren't exactly the same, and Sexton played a lot more, but it just it shows you what how narratives can really affect things, and even the slightest difference in numbers can also um, change things as well. And you know, we would have seen a lot more five-plus assist games, which you know you want from your point guard. Um and again, like I said, the noticeable improvement throughout the season, which was amazing to see. Uh, that's why it's important to actually watch the games and not just look at stats and check out the highlight reels on you know YouTube and stuff. You know, I I obviously do that from time to time when I can't catch a game or I just want to get the gist of how things went. Um, but you can't you can't pick up everything and nearly everything just looking at the stats, the box score, and then watching highlights because you don't get the full 48 minutes of action. You don't see the good plays that, you know, resulted in a missed basket or whatever. You don't see those things in highlight reels because they're meant to just be quick clips to, you know, really summarize the game. And that's why it's super important to sit down and watch full games. Um, and to end the season, he did pick up his first double double in the, you know, in the season finale, I think he finished with 18 and 10 assists. Is that an anomaly? Yes, most likely, but it's a step in the right direction. And that's 
you know, that's all you can ask for from young players. And I hope that we see a couple more of those next season. And, you know, he gets to around above four assists per game next season. That's what I'm kind of hoping for. And if that comes true, then I think we're going to be in pretty good shape. Um, His defense still is not there really at all, but very few rookie guards are plus defenders. Um, He, he has the desire and the will to play defense or be a good defender. Um, He did rank as the worst rated defender who started, you know, which isn't ideal. You don't want that, but uh, I would project that over time he does become at least a serviceable defender. Uh, once he learns the game and just physically matures a little bit, you know, just, the experience is so valuable that it just things take time. And I know fans and people want to write things off or players off because they don't make an immediate impact and they're not great right away. But you, you've got to give this thing time. This is going to be a lengthy rebuild. Who knows if, it'll even work. We might have to tear down in the middle of it again, but you just got to give it time, let things play out, trust the front office, which I know has been a hard thing to do. It's really been hard for me, but I do like the direction in which the Cavs are going. So I'm, this is the first time I've been excited about the future without LeBron. And it's weird to say, but I'm, I can't wait for the draft lottery in the draft. And even just next season to see, how this team can get better and hopefully we get, you know, a glimpse of what the future can possibly be. And his Colin Sexton's offensive game, I think changed a lot as well, taking more efficient shots and just higher percentage shots analytically. um, He effectively eliminated the long two pointer from his game that he was in love with and so comfortable in college and the first half of the season. I think part of that is, well, a lot of that is, his teammates, I heard, were like yelling at him and telling him, like trying to discourage him from taking those shots because, you know, his he's 21 feet away from the basket. Why not step back two feet or drive in? It just it's one of the, th- the biggest pet peeves I had about him um, coming into the season. And it seems like he's fixed that, which is really good to see. Um, he took four threes in each of the last 13 games, which is. Great to see because it shows confidence in the jump shot. And he was taking a lot more off the dribble too, which, um, all again, shows a boost in the confidence that he has in his new, newly improved jump shot. Um, and he, what I've noticed also is that he began to change speeds a little bit more in the half court, especially off the pick and roll. It just creates more opportunities for him because he's so damn fast that he can blow by anybody, but you can't use that speed all the time. You have to know when to shut it off real quick and then just blow by a defender once you lull him to sleep. And in light of that, he added a pretty solid floater game, which is a component of that uh, speed change development. Uh, I think that's really important for a point guard because a lot of times the bigs, when you attack them on a pick and roll, they do drop pretty far. So they, they're daring you to take that mid-range shot and, if he can constantly or consistently knock down that floater, I think that'll make him even more dangerous of a scorer. Um, I really hope we see him come back next season with an improved handle to increase his ability to shake defenders one-on-one because he didn't really do that at all. And for a point guard, his, uh, his handle is not very good. Um, he really just relied on his speed to blow by guys, and that's that's fine. That can work. But you need to make your bag a little bit bigger. 
you need to come back with new stuff. And we saw that um, development with the jump shot and stuff, but now he'll have a full off season to just work on his game and whatnot. And I think, I think we're going to see an even better Colin Sexton coming back because he's such a hard worker. Um, and I mean, Again, that's all you can really hope for. I think he embodies the city of Cleveland pretty well. That's why I think fans tend to like him because he's just a he's a gritty guy who doesn't make excuses or hasn't so far. Um, and since the All Star break, he was averaging more assist opportunities as well, and it wasn't a huge improvement or anything. It went from like five and a half to seven. I know it's again, like I said, it's not a big improvement or anything, but it just shows that the playmaking ability is there and it's getting even better with time and it'll continue to get better with time. I hope. And like I said earlier, the seven straight games of 23 plus points, he now holds the Cavs record overtaking Mr. Cavalier, Austin Carr, our favorite, one of our favorite announcers. Um, and now I'm going to make my pitch for Colin Sexton to make the all rookie first team. So the locks at this point, I think we all know, are Trey Young, Luka Doncic, and DeAndre Ayton. So that leaves two spots left, and I think Sexton deserves the honor or to get on that team out of the next three guys that I think are up for that spot. Um, and these stats are courtesy of the Cavs' Twitter page. Amongst rookies, Sexton ranks first in minutes, first in 10-plus point games, first in three free throw percentage, second in three-point percentage, third in 20-plus point games, third in points per game, fifth in assists per game. Hey, I mean, that sounds like a top-five rookie to me. And the other two rookies I think he's fighting for at that last spot are Marvin Bagley and Jaron Jackson Jr. And I think both of both of them were good for their teams. They were really good. But my biggest thing is that Sexton played in every game while Bagley and Jaron Jackson Jr. both missed significant time. I think they both played in like 50-something games, which, I mean, I'd rather have a rookie play all 82 than 50-something. I, I, that's common sense, right? And with Sexton's numbers being top five in pretty much everything, besides rebounds, but he's a point guard, so you can't really expect that. I think he definitely, definitely deserves that honor. I think durability should hold some weight in that. Uh, that's just a testament to Sexton's body and I'm not saying Jackson Jr. or Marvin Bagley are bad or they don't take care of their bodies, but, you know, the NBA season is a beating, especially for young players. It's hard for guys to stay on the floor consistently, and Sexton did that, and I really have to applaud him for that. So now we're going to be shifting gears a little bit into the myth of Zion Williamson and how I think he could potentially fit with the Cavs. So I did a little pros and cons list. Um, so let's start off with the pros. He's the best athlete we've seen since LeBron. I don't think that's up for debate. He's He jumps up, literally jumps off your screen every time you watch him. He's built like a 30-year-old linebacker as an 18-year-old, which is I don't which we've never seen before. He's a good playmaker, has a pretty good handle, and has good vision and passing ability for his size. I think that stuff gets swept under the rug because he's such an outstanding athlete. People want to focus on just the dunking ability and the shot blocking, but he he does have some skill, which I think he obviously has to improve on because you can't rely on your athleticism forever. But I think he has a pretty solid foundation to build upon, and we could see a really special player here. 
Uh, he can score extremely well inside with he's so strong and he can jump so high. He can just out jump everybody. Um, that makes it pretty easy for him to score inside. The jump shot is progressing. He got better as the season went on and was more willing to take jump shots, which I think is really what you can ask for. You have to be somewhat of a threat. Like Ben Simmons doesn't take the jump shots, so they don't guard him outside the paint. But if he were to actually take them and make one on occasion, you know, you'd have to respect it a little bit more, forcing um, forcing the defender to actually defend you. And I think that's one of the, the Sixers' biggest problems. But we're not talking about the Sixers now. Um, he's a gr- especially a great offensive rebounder for being undersized, and that's just due to his athleticism. Has to get better as a defensive rebounder, but he's a huge plus on the offensive glass. He's a weak weak side shot blocker and chase down specialist. He'd immediately, you know, be the Cavs' best shot blocker, which is kind of sad because the the Cavs are that bad at blocking shots. But you know, he I mean, it'd be a plus. So that's all you can ask for. Uh, he's he'd be a blockbuster. Be one of the hottest tickets in sports. I think we all know that. He'll, you know, he his benefit off the court might be might be bigger than on the court just because the national attention that he will get and just the amount of people that will want to see him play that could really benefit the Cavs. And he'll immediately become one of the best transition players in the NBA. I think there are very few players that are willing to get in, get in his way as he builds ahead of steam. Um, and, you know, he was the best transition player in college by far. So I, I think with better players and even more space, that could uh, even he can be even more impactful in the transition game. So now to the cons, uh, the jump shot. We all know that. Um, like I said, it was a progression, but it's still not good. It's not even average at this point. So I I'm guessing he'll get better at that and be try and become a, just a respectable shooter because with his skill set and just athletic prowess, he'll be able to get to the basket at will pretty much. Um, but he does need that jump shot to make the, the defender guard him, just kind of how I was saying with the Ben Simmons thing. Um, he's undersized for a four. He's like, what, 6'6", six, six, and that is not – that's like a two guard in today's game. So he, I think he'll have trouble down low. Um, and, you know, his athleticism d- does help him, but, you know, size does matter in the NBA. Um, he doesn't use his right hand much to finish around the basket. He he forces the ball back to his left hand and does kind of everything in his power he can to get back to it. This can lead to bad offensive fouls and you know sends him to the bench earlier than a player may want or a coach may want. Um, you know you're not benefiting the team if you're not on the floor. So he has to get better. You know being more of a mystery or switching things up more because if someone knows you're going left, they can plant in front of you or stop it. I know. People didn't do that that well in college, but he's a man playing against boys. He's going to be playing against, you know, 31-year-olds now. He's going to have to get craftier. Um, Hopefully he slims down and just kind of tunes his body. Uh, He can't get heavier than 285 because he's already either the heavier or second heaviest player in the NBA. He's got a lot of of baby fat on him, so he needs to tighten that up just because that's so much – stress on your knees and your ankles, your hips, all your joints. And the heavier you get, the better 
it doesn't help. So he needs to slim down a little bit. As I said, susceptible to getting in foul trouble on the offensive end and the defensive end because he's aggressive. He's a shot blocker, so he's willing to put his body out there, and it could lead to foul trouble. And my biggest concern out of all of everything with Zion, he plays with reckless abandon, which could lead to serious injury and the foul trouble, but I'm not. I'm more worried about the injury um, and durability, biggest issue for me. For his size and with how explosive he is, there's a potential of his body breaking down because not that much force is supposed to come down on a hu- on human's joints. And he's really lucky the shoe blowout didn't lead to major structural damage that could have derailed his NBA dream. I hope he de- he continues to develop and doesn't, rely on his athleticism so much to where that's the only way he can be effective he you know once the athleticism wanes as we're kind of seeing with LeBron a little bit you need to be very skilled to be a great player in this league so I just hope he doesn't get complacent with his athleticism and his skills just get better which I don't I imagine they will I don't think he's that type of kid um yeah and I just hope his career doesn't get shortened by any any injury from him, you know, jumping and hitting his face on the backboard, landing awkwardly, stuff like that. Uh, So that'll wrap up that segment. So we're going to take a quick break, and afterwards we are going to answer these Twitter questions. So grab a snack, grab a drink, and I'll be right back with you guys. All right, so jumping back into things, um, the the Q&A. I was very... I was pleasantly surprised with how many, you know, questions I got. And I really thank everyone for asking the questions. And I'll ask for them quite a while ago. But, you know, like I said, with everything that that's going on and stuff, finally got around to it. And the first question comes from at Forrest Ashwood. How you doing, Forrest? Um, he asked, thoughts on Zion as a fit for the Cavs and the NBA's, NBA as a whole? Because I'm not because personally I'm not putting stock in him until I see him play against consistent competition, which I understand. I mean, he's his skills, like I said, do get kind of swept under the rug by his athleticism. And I think people don't see how skilled the dude actually is and how skilled he can be. Um, Now in terms of his fit with the Cavs, he does fill team needs on and off the court on the court, the defensive end, you know, that's no surprise a whole new element to this team and you know, the element that's been pretty much gone or non-existent since as long as I can remember shot blocking, especially from the weak side, that's one of his biggest strengths. And he's really, really, really good at that. This team has zero identity and presence inside. I think they average under three blocks a game and no other team averaged under four. So that's just, that's absolutely atrocious. Um, and I think as he, um, as he proves himself as an interior defender, I think that may deter players from going up stronger, even just hesitating for a split second from thinking about going up when Zion's in the paint. I know a split second doesn't seem like a lot, but in the NBA, that's, that's a lifetime. So and even anything, he'll immediately, uh, make this team a lot better in that, in that sense. Uh, he becomes the best slasher and finisher on the team. Another guy who can start and finish the break. He's a lob catcher. So just a, a presence inside on both ends 
that you know will make this team even better. Um, the spacing will get worse. Um, you know that's no surprise, which I think it'll make it harder for other players to score because the only volume shooter that we have is Kevin Love, and I guess Sexton is becoming that if this trend continues into next season. Um, Jetty's coming into his own, and with like I said, with Sexton's shooting percentage, but I need to see that and more of a sustained rate of success to consider him a real floor spacer. It's not a seamless fit by any need, any means. There are pretty glaring bumps in the road uh, with his fit on the Cavs and just kind of in the NBA in general. Um, I think he has as much potential as a number one pick that you know I can really remember. Um, and I think you know he's the number one pick, no doubt. He helps the team off the court as well because it puts even more butts in the seats. I saw the Cavs were like sixth or seventh in attendance, which is really cool because you know they're the second worst team in the NBA. It's awesome to see fans still going out to games and whatnot. Um, and it'll put the Cavs back on a national level because Zion is such a polarizing talent. It'll get the Cavs talked about more and hopefully not laughed at like they have been <laughs> this entire last year. It's just more recognition, and that could be more valuable than on the court because you know, it puts more money in Dan Gilbert's pockets. And I know that's that's one of the main priorities if it isn't the the biggest priority. So, And as a whole, I think he could even be more impactful than he was in college. Now hear me out. This, this is why I say this. Because the floor is so much more spaced out than it is in the college game. I think it, it could really benefit him. You see a team will zone, would zone Duke, and there's just no room to operate. The floor is bigger. They're zones don't come out nearly as often and you have professionals playing you know alongside you not uh you know the eighth guy off duke or jack white who missed like 31 straight threes in a row but uh yeah i think with the spacing and just more talent around him he could be even better than what we saw which i'm actually really excited to see even if he's not on the Cavs, even if we don't get that number one pick um he's just such a mystery that I can't be confident with my answer either way um, because I am so worried about his durability over time and the development of his uh, skills. I just, I, I can't, I can't fully say anything about him. I think that he'll be great. Um, but if you can't stay healthy and stay on the floor, you can't help your team. Um, so thank you for for that question. Next comes from, DJ Tucker 888, he asked, why am I so handsome? Um, I kind of wanted basketball-related questions, but I guess I'll answer this. Because um, you're a rare breed, my guy. Uh, simple. Now moving on. Uh, this is from at Ian Underhab Rehab Sports. He asked, which top four player do you think fits best for Cleveland? Zion, Barrett, Morant, or Reddish? I'm going to substitute Reddish for Culver at this point because it's pretty clear that those are the top four. Um, now, this is a tough question because I don't think any of these players fit seamlessly. Um, like, and I even said this in the answer, I don't think Reddish is a top four guy anymore. Uh, the Cavs have a strange roster construction. I think it's really a three-person race. Even though I do have a soft spot for Cam Reddish, I think he has incredible potential and could be even better in the pros due to spacing, stuff like that. Um, but I don't think he's the answer. Uh, this may sound like a cop-out, 
but I think any of the top three, even four, I guess, feel the needs that can push the Cavs to compete for the playoffs next year if they're fully healthy. That that has to be said. That has to be true. If they're not healthy, if Kevin Love misses 40-plus games or whatever, then they're not even going to sniff the playoffs. But fully healthy in a weak Eastern Conference, I think this team could push for the playoffs. You may crucify me for that, but you know, it's just just what I think, and I'm always right. So um, uh, Zion, you know, we talked about him already. Morant would be the best playmaker on the team from day one. He's a good passer, elite athleticism, good finisher at the rim. He kind of has that dog in him. He's also like a big box, box office guy. But with his the defensive, you know, liability, that would be him and Colin Sexton. I'm not too sure on that, to be honest. Um, R.J. Barrett's a great scorer who has good size and defensive potential. He also has that killer mentality. So I think out of the everyone, he would be the best fit, honestly, because we need a wing scorer so incredibly badly that I think he would fill that role very well. Um, and any of these, any of these guys will benefit this team immediately. Like all of them have star potential. Um, I just want the draft to be here already. And Jared Culliver, I think he's – I don't know if he has star potential necessarily, but I think he has a really high floor. So with the him being able to play both sides of the ball, and I know he didn't have a very good last two games of his college season, but I don't want that to diminish what he did. He was really good for most of the year, and I think you know the fourth pick in the draft is well-deserved for him. Um yeah, he's jumped to three for me. Morant has slid down to four. Just because of fit, I think Morant's a better player, but I think the fit of Culver is a lot better than Morant. Uh, so thank you, Ian, for that question. The next comes from at Media. With Jeannie Buss' news of trading LeBron, would you still want him back? And two, what would you trade for him? Um, first part of this question, hell yes, I'd want him back. Are you kidding me? It's LeBron James. Uh, he's my favorite player ever. He's still performing at an incredibly high level, even if he isn't the consensus best player in the world anymore. Um, the second part of the question takes a little bit of a different note, though. I wouldn't give up much, to be honest with you. And I know that may be super contradictory to my first the answer to the first part of the question, but with him getting older and since sustaining his first major injury since high school, and he'd most likely not resign with Cleveland once his contract is up for the third time, I would not sell the future for three more years of potential conference final strips because even with LeBron and this roster, I I think they I don't think they make the finals. They might not even get out of the second round, to be honest with you. Um if LeBron was on this Cavs, like I said, I wouldn't make the finals. Um I'm not giving up our top well, it's it's a top six pick for sure, but I'm not giving up that pick. I'm not giving up Colin Sexton. I'm not giving up our most valuable pieces for LeBron. That may sound absolutely ridiculous and stupid, but I'm trying to play the long game here. Um, if we were to trade the number, whatever pick it is, and like Colin Sexton for LeBron, everything we did to accumulate for the future is now gone, and we'd have to do that all over again, and I really don't want to do that. It seems like we have a decent foundation so far uh, with what we have, and we're continuing to build on that. And I like the way this team is going, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't sell the farm for a thirty. Was he 34, 34 year old LeBron? Um, so thank you, Mac. Thank you for that question. The next question comes from at the Clubhouse fifteen. Uh, 
and he asks if the Cavs end up in like five to ten in the draft, fairly unlikely, but whatever. Who would you look to draft? Um, so the Cavs can't fall further than six, but first of all, that'd be that'd be so disastrous, honestly. Like I say, I'm okay with the top any of the top six players, but really, if we fall outside of the top three, that's that's it's not good. Because after the top three, I don't know if there's star potential. Like, there are are good players, don't get me wrong, but I don't know if they have that star potential. Um, And if if they fall to, like, five or even six, if they fall to six, I'm assuming Zion, Morant, Barrett, Reddish, and Culver are gone. So the next two guys I'd look at are DeAndre Hunter and Jackson Hayes. Two these two players are in completely different stages of their development. Now let's start off with DeAndre Hunter. He's one of the most NBA ready prospects now. I think he'll con- he'd contribute right away. He can score at all three levels. He's a smart player. He's pretty good defensively. He can guard one through four. He just looks like an NBA player. Like when I was watching Virginia play in the national championship game, he just he looked like a man compared to everyone else. Um. I just don't know how how high his ceiling is. Um, is it like an Otto Porter, which isn't a bad thing by any means. Otto's a really good player. But is that his ceiling? Or I've even seen some people compare him to like Kawhi because of like his demeanor, his defensive ability, and his developing offensive game. Could that be a potential you know, ceiling for him? I don't know. That's remained to be seen. And I don't think we'll see that for quite a while. Um the next step for Hunter to become or to take that next step would be creating like his own shot on offense and consistently off the dribble. His handle isn't that good, and he doesn't have a ton of moves in his bag. Uh, if he can develop that, I think he could become one of the best two-way players in the league in due time, but I'm not sure that's there. Uh, he, he definitely has one of the highest floors, if not the highest floor, and he'll probably be a solid starter in this league, like an Otto Porter or Robert Covington, some some player of that mold. Um, I know that's not necessarily what you want with the top five draft pick, but it's better than getting an Anthony Bennett or right now Markel Fultz. Uh, and there's like I said, nothing wrong with uh, nothing wrong with that. Just not sure if the star potential is there. Now going to Jackson Hayes, who may raise a lot of eyebrows. Um, he's in a completely different area of his development than DeAndre Hunter. Maybe the most raw lottery prospect. He's a lean, lanky athletic center whose numbers aren't anything to look at, really. He averaged like 10 and 6. But with his physical attributes, athleticism, and upside make him really intriguing. He's really limited offensively, gets all of his points from like rim running or second chance points. No outside game, really. Um, he blocks shots pretty well. He um, projecting blo- he'd project blocking 3.4 shots per game or per 36 minutes, which is already more than the entire Cavs team does in the entire game. So that would be pretty cool. Um, I see him as like a Clint Capella, Jared Allen type, who is really good in t- on the interior and can is just a really good pick and roll player. Um, he needs to put on he needs to put on weight because he gets pushed off his spots way too easily. And he isn't a great rebounder for his size at all. I think that has to do with he's really raw mentally and the physical. He doesn't have a lot of weight on him right now. And he's prone to getting in foul trouble. I think over time he could become a very valuable piece, and I don't think he'd contribute right away, which would be really frustrating for this team. 
um, you know, trying to rebuild and you want immediate uh, return from your high lottery picks. But, you know, if, if the Cavs fall to six, I def I definitely give him a look. I don't know if I draft him there, but I give him a fair chance. So thank you for that question. I'm moving on at skew time asked the last projection has a Cavs taking the point guard for Murray State. Is this a good move even after they drafted Sexton last year? Um, I think it could work, but I'm more on the side of no. Uh, I'd rather have like a, a Culver over Morant just for this team's roster construction. Morant's a great playmaker. He's a great slasher finisher, and he has that it factor, that dog, as people like to say. He compares to like a, like a Russell Westbrook or De'Aaron Fox type player. I mean, I'd love to have either of those players on my team right now. Uh, my concern comes on the defensive end. Two guards that are undersized could cause headaches for the coaching staff trying to figure out how to be even respectable on defense. And, I mean, the Cavs were historically bad on defense this year, so that really would not help at all. And I'm not sure how far you can get with your two guards being your two best players. You know, maybe Portland's proved me wrong right now. They are, they've whooped up on the thunder the last two games, but a series doesn't start until the road game or the road team wins. So we'll see how that ends up going. I'm looking into the future here, but to say Morant and Sexton are the two best players, you know, assuming they're the two best players on the team in like three to five years. Um, And that blueprint so far hasn't made a splash in the playoffs. Portland and Washington, I don't, before the last couple of games, I don't think they scared anybody. Um, a fun regular season team with little playoff potential. Um, but like I said, maybe Portland can uh, can do something. I'm, I'm rooting for them because I do like the Blazers. I always have. Um, and if you're sitting at two and they feel that Morant is better than Barrett to fit their long-term plan, I'm not going to be mad. But I'll disagree because I think Barrett's a better fit for this team. Um, and at this point, like I said earlier, uh, Jaws fourth on my wish list. Jared Culver has jumped to three because of his ability on both ends, his defensive potential, stuff like that. As long as the Cavs stay in the, in the top four, I'll be pretty happy. I'm not going to lie. Um, so thank you for that question, Skew Time. Now to at Ballify NBA, what is the Cavs ceiling with a healthy Kevin Love? Realistically, the first round of the playoffs, if they get if they even get into the playoffs, they'll be like a seven or eight seed, and nobody would expect them to beat the Raptors or the Bucks or even the Sixers or the Celtics, whoever would get the top seeds next year. Um, I'd be ecstatic just if they won a playoff game. Like if they make the playoffs, you best believe I'm going to a home playoff game. I can't miss that, especially without LeBron. That'd be a huge step forward in this franchise's just history. So thank you, Ballify, for that question. Next comes from at Ty Yeager Radio, my man Ty. He says, what is your favorite all-time NBA trio that wasn't on the Cavs? And I know I know the answer you want, Ty. You ain't slick fool. Um, but this is a tough question. The trio that I guess I'd have to go with would be KD, Westbrook, and Harden because they're fun to watch and there's a lot of what-if potential there. And, and it's fun to like talk about that stuff. I never really watched the Spurs big three um, like that, so I can't say they're my favorite. And for those of you who don't know, Ty is a diehard Spurs fan, and he definitely poses question to try and get me to show love to the Spurs, which is not going to happen. So good try, Ty, but maybe next time. 
Uh, this question comes from at one limitless range. What would you rate Sexton's rookie year on a scale of one to ten? And honestly, I'm going to give it an 8.6. Only professional scores here. Um, he's exceeded my expectations by a lot. If you asked me this question in January, it would have been a very different number. It would have been a disappointing number. But his development, um, game in and game out, has been awesome to see. <laughs> Stuttering over everything. His jump shot has um, come along faster than I think anyone could have imagined. I don't think I ever expected him throughout his career to be a 40% three-point shooter, which, I mean, he did in his first year, which is pretty cool. Um, He's even growing as a playmaker, beginning to set up teammates in scoring positions, and they're not making shots, which makes him look like a much worse playmaker than he is. But, um, you know, that hopefully he'll get some uh, shot makers around him uh, in, in due time. And the defense, I think, will come along as well. Like I said, he has that passion, that fire to be a good defender. He wants to be a good defender. Um, and it's just honing that skill and, you know, gaining experience. Um, he'll obviously be a focal point of this rebuild. If not the most important piece, he'll be, you know, second or third at the very least. Um, with how quickly he was able to improve his jump shot, I'm chomping at the bit to see what he improves next. Imagine if, like, Ben Simmons had that work ethic. I don't mean to throw – I mean fully to throw shade at the Sixers fans because Ben Simmons hasn't improved at all, and he's a liability for you guys. Um, Not saying he's not a good player, but that brand of basketball doesn't work in the playoffs when you can't shoot and your name isn't Giannis. Um, And certainly not – and last but certainly not least, this question comes from at Jordan Bollify. He says, if given the number one overall pick, who are you picking and why – um, my response is there's no need to overthink and overcomplicate this. It has to be Zion because if he pans out and you pass on him, it could be the worst mistake your franchise has ever made. And his potential is you know, through the roof. He could be a top five player in the league. So even with my concerns of the jump shot, the lack of a jump shot, foul trouble, and most import- importantly, the durability, he's the number one pick hands down. There's no reason to think about that too much. Um, so, yeah, Again, thank you guys for all the questions. I want to make this a common thing. I like getting different questions from you guys. Um, and that is going to wrap up the episode. I just want to thank you guys if you've made it this far, if you were able to tolerate my voice for this long. Um, I just want to thank you for listening to the return of the Everything Cavaliers podcast. And you know, I want to make this way more consistent, and it's going to be way more consistent. Now that I'm seeming to have a little bit more time on my hands to put into this and I look forward to the next episode and hopefully you guys enjoyed this one and we'll stick around for the future ones. Have a good day y'all.